Listen to our elders. I have a guest today who has been a doctor for over five decades, sharing his life's work and wisdom. Welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show number 320. I can hardly believe it. It is wonderful to have you with me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to give a massive shout out to the people, especially who take the time to leave reviews and share shows that matter to you or that give you aha moments or gold of some kind with your friends, family, and social media communities, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's wonderful to bring you a weekly show spanning all pillars of the low-tox life, from food to body to home to mind, and of course, care for our beautiful planet Earth. This week, we have Dr. James Kong joining us, an 81-year-old retired physician who's talking to us about the key principles of thriving in an anxious world. He sees stress or excess stress, of course, because stress can be good, you stress, for example, Uh, and, of course, we talk about stress flexibility, but relentless high stress in the modern world uh, is really what he sees to be one of the key driving factors of disease, And he's done so much in his career, everything from revolutionizing how an emergency medicine department ran through to regional GP work, through to being the consultant GP for the Australian Ballet, uh, through to having a near-death experience that actually caused him to bring in more of his Eastern roots into his Western practice uh, to create a functional medicine approach uh, decades ago, way before it was cool on Instagram. So I'm so excited to bring you my chat with James. And uh, that will start in a little minute. Of course, we have a wonderful major sponsor this year, Oz Climate. Uh, I can't recommend the range enough and I just want to focus on air purifiers for a little second this week because I've had a few questions with people sharing air purifier brands that are just being kind of promoted on Instagram. So obviously just made in a factory somewhere, people whack a sales page together, a cart, tell you how fabulous it is, show you a few pretty pictures of a home with a good looking filter in it. And I've been asked about three separate brands of that elk this last couple of weeks. So I wanted to bring it up on the show because as I looked into each of these uh, uh, ad suggestions that people had had popping up in their feeds, they say HEPA and, you know, removing mold spores and all the things that people want to see. But when you dig a little deeper, you don't have the minimum that I recommend, the four stage uh, or, you know, five stage, if you want Mac Daddy uh, filtration approach. And so for me, a lot of these good looking filters being sold through ads on social media Uh, without a huge amount of experience as uh, a business infiltration, more to kind of capture a trend of people wanting to clean up their indoor air because people are talking about it more these days, Uh, you often find that it's all style and not as much substance as you get when you purchase a Winix air purifier from Oz Climate. We have 10% off all year round and their compact, their most basic one, uh, which we have in our bedrooms, is a four-stage filter including true HEPA filtration. So uh, that's a hospital-grade HEPA filtration. So that for me is really where you want to 
get your small unit if you want a small unit or if you're budget conscious and you need to go for a small unit, uh, that would be what I'd be recommending. So the four-stage compact air purifier is a really good-looking little filter, gorgeous for studies, bedrooms, or smaller living spaces, Uh, and I highly, highly recommend. You could, of course, if you've got a larger home or if you've got pets, go with their big five-stage units uh, that are actually still reasonably compact and can tuck next to a couch or behind a couch quite easily, uh, and they look nice. Um, And then the one for pets actually has a dedicated separate pet filter. So those are the things you might want to explore as you're out there being served a whole bunch of ads on socials, do your homework uh, because the Oz Climate Winix air purifiers are a minimum of four stage through to five stage and they have the hospital grade true HEPA filtration, uh, which is going to be covering an, a, a very wide variety of allergies, uh, pets, viruses, bacteria, household odours, smoke from cooking and of course mould. So your code is 10, well, you get 10% off and your code is lowtoxlife at ozclimate.com.au. Thank you big time to them for being our major sponsor this year on the show. And now let's have this chat with the wonderful, wise Dr. James Kong. Enjoy. Hello, James. How are you? Greetings, Alex. I'm well. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Well, I'm very, very happy to have you here. I think uh, when we have someone who has decided to leave a legacy through your book and, of course, through your work over the decades as uh, a GC, a GP and a, um, a TCM practitioner, uh, it's always worth seeing what you have observed and how we can move forward for the better when it comes to human health. Um, I want to ask you right up, you decided you became an expert in stress reduction. Uh, what did you learn about stress in your days as an emergency medicine specialist in Melbourne in your very early days of being a doctor? What did you see that made you think, hold on, this is key to human health addressing stress? Well, in reality, stress was actually not recognised or discussed much in healthcare. Uh, I went into emergency care because I was young, I wanted action, I wanted the adrenaline, and I was lucky to be at the right place at the right time. And uh, so that's how it began. But stress was actually ignored by the medical profession. Uh, Now, the, the main drive I had to into emergency medicine was that when I graduated, the emergency departments of all public hospitals were staffed by the most junior, inexperienced doctors. Can you imagine that that (laughs) scenario? So the most inexperienced- I I know this. I remember when my mum had a a bit of a scare and she just wanted to go and make sure her heart was okay because something felt funny one day. We took her straight there and who was there but one of the young men who had just the year before finished working for me in a pub uh, doing his residency in the ER and I thought, oh, my God, Stu's looking after my mum. I know what this guy was like at staff parties. And (laughs) I just kind of had a moment where I was like, is this the best person to be checking on my mum? So it's really funny that you mentioned that. That's, that's so unacceptable. So, so when I saw the state of the, the, the staffing and the inadequacy of trained doctors, I decided to be one of the first emergency physicians. Mm-hmm. So I put my heart into it and updated all my knowledge through learning. And uh, I was appointed Director of Accident Emergency at the Preston and Northcote Community Hospital. And the first thing I did was threw away all the junior doctors and installed specialist trainee doctors mm-hmm. at the level of registrars. And what and, did that uh, do? So, 
in terms of the success of that department? What did you notice uh, over those well, first years? Yes, uh, definitely the response time was much quicker. The treatment time was quicker. In fact, PENCH became a benchmark for other hospitals. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I did the work job pretty well. The reason, I was actually invited to go to the Austin, which is a much bigger hospital. So that, that, that was, a, I guess, a recognition that I was on the right track. You don't put the most junior doctors looking after the most serious in the first year out. And it's stressful so, for them as well on their learning journey. Yes, yes. You, you could tell which doctors will run away when an emergency arrives mm. and which doctors will respond, you know, with gusto, mm -hmm. uh, depending on how they know how to handle emergencies. So I, I learned to deal with this because I was lucky to be brought up in a Chinese background where quietness, meditative practices part of our day-to-day -day living. Right. So I was uh, quick in response, but calm in, in a response. In, interesting. So, And you noticed a palpable difference between your ability to therefore manage stress under a very stressful situation day in, day out, compared to, say, fellow doctors who hadn't come from that Eastern teaching background. True. And then, of course, you also learn from your personal relationship. So I was unfortunate to uh, had a difficult marriage second time. So I was undergoing through a lot of stress, uh, which I managed, but there were no help. You, mm. uh, as nobody actually recognized stress as such as, as a problem. It wasn't until 2016 when World Health Organization declared that stress is the biggest health pandemic of the 21st century, hmm. 2016. It's crazy, and isn't it? Just a few years on. ago. And, yeah. and it's almost like something that I have noticed in mental health, uh, exploring that world myself for a diagnosis uh, and um and, and I feel like stress is this subclinical alarm bell that exists, but things have to wait to become really bad and be medicatable before you can actually get help uh, in our medical system. Yes, because our medical system is based on time. Mm. So when medicine became a business instead of a healing art, you have a business model where patients are given time limits. So the mental health issues, particularly stress, require a lot of personal involvement and care. Uh, otherwise, you don't get the results. Mm. So uh, all the experts have agreed that the mental health scheme is fragmented and chaotic. Mm. That's my words. And quite privileged as well, because you're sent often on a psychiatric referral path uh, or psychologist, and to then see these health professionals costs a lot of money, money that a lot of people don't have. Yeah, and there's uh, obviously a delay because there's not enough specialists around. Mm. Almost daily I read in the papers how the mental health scheme is just not working. And same as the primary health care, the Medicare. Yeah. People have difficulty accessing and getting appointments and getting follow-ups, getting treatment. And unfortunately, prescription has become the, the solution. Mm. Basically, each patient is sent off with a prescription of drugs that uh, not, may not be necessary, but maybe also harmful. Yeah. And do you feel like with everything that you've seen uh, and experienced in various forms of clinical practice that 
we're really good at emergency and SOS and jumping in there, guns blazing to keep a person alive or rescue them. But we're not so good at that subclinical piece where things aren't necessarily saved the day yet, but um, they could very well be if the person doesn't get the care they, they need. Yes, yes. I think we, you, you're right to point out that we need to separate the two tiers mm. of uh, medical services. There's nothing wrong with the emergency acute operative care at hospital level. I was involved many years in accident emergency. So uh, I think that's no criticism there. It's as good as anywhere else. But it's the primary care level where we are deficient, inefficient, and wasteful. Mm. Uh, that's the reason why chronic diseases are on the skyrocketing level. Mm. Uh, you, you know the list, you know, obesity, heart diseases, cancer, diabetes, autoimmune, you know, uh, arthritis, particularly the autoimmunes. Uh, mm. So there's a lot to catch up. And I'm glad to hear that the government is taking seriously how to improve Medicare system. Yeah, it's it's so important. There's nothing super great about a free healthcare system if it stops being accessible or effective. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you were also GP to the Australian Ballet at one point and you were a country GP in a small regional community. They're three pretty different experiences of being a medical doctor. Um, but what were some of the common themes that you noticed in all of those experiences that started to help you thread together what some of the key fundamental things we weren't seeing uh, for human health were? Well, I, I think we have to look at personal key types. Mm -hmm. you know, they all made differently. And I think I had a bit of the adventurer in me. I wasn't satisfied with just doing one thing well. Uh, I wanted to try other things. So I was lucky to be at the right place at the right time to be able to be trained in country practice. And I was lucky to be appointed a visiting physician to the Australian Ballet. Mm. Uh, that was because I was personally interested in ballet and I was located in South Melbourne. And of course, the ballet dancers came to see me and uh, it was their idea to get an invitation for me to visit the ballet centre. So I used to uh, visit the ballet centre on a Saturday morning, mm. just help with the ballet dancers. And I met pe people like... Uh, you know, Lee Shunsin, uh, Stephen Heathcote, host of other dancers that actually was very lucky to, you know, become personal friends. So that, that part I loved because uh, ballet is very demanding and it requires more than just a physical treatment. You know, nutrition comes in, even stress. So I was really, the country practice was a sea change. I was just going through a, a, a divorce and I needed to get away, clear my mind. So I went down to Phillip Island and it was one of the best assignments I ever did. I delivered babies, you know, I treated injuries, farmers, surfers. Uh, it was the most interesting part of my life. I, in fact, I, I, I loved the obstetrics the best, you know, having delivered so many babies. I sometimes often get hell if I go to Club Island. Hi, Dr. Kong, I delivered me. That's Aww. a warm, warm feeling. Yeah, very special. And, and so I guess I, I'm interested to know then, you, you, you experienced quite traditional dynamics, you know, running an accident emergency, uh, you know, caring for athletes, looking after a country community. 
but you you had an experience where something big happened personally, uh, bigger than divorce, to change how you fundamentally practiced medicine. Do you feel like sharing that to to see how like at what point did TCM not just become something that you knew a few things about growing up in that culture, but that you started to think I need to bring Chinese medicine forward in everything that I do? Uh, that was actually a very long process. Mm. Uh, it started actually at Philip Island. I inherited the medical practice there. And there were a large percentage of elderly people on many, many drugs. And I wasn't used to that working in the emergency department. So I used to go home quite puzzled. You know, patients are on a list of eight to 12 drugs. And I asked myself, I don't even understand what drug, which drug is doing what function. Mm-hmm. So I decided to offer alternatives by self-learning. Because you can't tell someone I'm going to stop your medication because they'll feel insecure. They were saying, what are you going to do instead? So I actually decided to pack up my practice, employ some locums. I went to southern China in Hangzhou, started TCM and acupuncture. So that when I came back, I was able to use the TCM to blend in with it's a slow process because patients are often very reluctant to change. And about the personal crisis, I did have a, in 2003, a near-death experience. I was so overstressed, overworked. My immune system just collapsed. So I was in a serious condition at the Alfred Hospital. But no one expected me to survive. It was very serious. I had multiple conditions. Uh, however, the thing that I guess got me through was the mind power. I had young daughters. I couldn't leave them. So they, they powered me. And I had two sons, so on, my sisters. So the family and close friends uh, inspired me. And that's when I learn there is a higher consciousness. I always try to use my brain, but I found out that you can go above your normal limits. Your zone goes at a high level where you feel more empowered. And I'm using that right now every day because I'm 81 now. And you have lots of problems when you're 81. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was very inspiring. So I, I, when people ask me, how are you feeling? I often just say, look, the body is weak at 81, but my mind is firing, high power. So I use that energy to propel me day to day. In fact, I've just finished writing my second book on the basis of the inspiration. Wow, fantastic. Um, I'd love to be being interviewed for podcasts when I'm 81, so I'm going to channel you as inspiration moving forward, uh, Doctor. Um, Okay, I have a question then on the Chinese medicine training you did. You bring it back. You've learnt a whole lot more. And then you see these conditions, anxiety, some patients with depression, um other stress disorders, if you like. Um, What does Chinese medicine say about stress and its various presentations, about depression? Maybe we separate them out um, and take each one by one. Uh, What did you feel that you had to offer with acupuncture and Chinese medicine herbs um, that you didn't have before? How... How did it play out? Well, actually, the Western method of treating anxiety, depression, is actually harmful. Mm. 
So it was a bit frustration with the conventional drug-based treatment that made me move towards the, I guess, Eastern way, because that includes the Hindus, Ayurvedic medicine. So Lao Tzu was a Taoist philosopher you might have heard of. He made a famous quote that I still use regularly. You are depressed when you live in the past. You are anxious if you live in the future. You are at peace if you live for the moment. So a lot of depression comes from holding what I call emotional toxins from the past. People just can't let go of something that was hurtful. So, and Western medicine do not try to uncover that. Mm. This gives you a pill. In fact, there are high-level academic professors at top American university have come up with a statement that antidepressants do not work. Mm. They're ineffective and they are addictive. You have a system whereby you've got a lot of people suffering from depression from a thought process that can be changed. Mm -hmm. You know, going back to the past and reliving that past and suffering for the present, it's like putting yourself back in jail when you did a minor crime as a, as a young person. So who wants to go back to be punished again? And that's what, unfortunately, with Western thinking, uh, most people don't recover. Uh, they just get the same repetition, bit of counseling, lots of prescription. So they're forever maintained, but not cured. Mm. Uh, anxiety is probably another huge. Uh, so stress is the underlying basis, and stress can be tamed. Is it actually quite simple? I have a practical routine where if you want me, I can show you. Yes, go for how it. How to de-stress without waiting months to get an appointment with a psychiatrist or psychologist. You know, we, in many ways, modern people have disconnected themselves from our origin and our nature. So we need to go back to our roots, reconnect, and even and reduce stress, anxiety, depression. Mm -hmm. and, and so what does that practice look like for you when you teach patients how to focus in on the present moment more and more? See, when most people are very stressed, most of them don't have any strategies to calm themselves. Because they haven't learned it, they're not aware of it. Uh, the average Western method is a prescription, which actually is addictive and does not solve the problem. Mm. Uh, now, using traditional Chinese and the Ayurvedic health system, whereby you are using your own body to fine tune to change your physiology. In other words, our mind-body has buttons that you can press off or on. So if you go into a room that's too hot, you turn the cooler down. When you go to a room that's too cold, you turn the heater off. And we have it all in our system, but we, it's been neglected by Western medicine because it has too much faith in prescription drugs. Mm. Now, uh, I have a routine that's very simple. Would you like me to just go through it? Yeah, please. Okay. Now, uh, acute pressure is basically putting pressure on your body to stimulate a physiological response. So when you stress, everything tightens up. Your scalp muscle, your neck, your shoulder, your back. Right? 
and your accounts as well. So uh, to start out with, I teach people to give the body a shake, symbolically shaking all your stresses away. Okay, like mm -hmm. your hands are wet, you around, you just flick, get the stress. Please go away. I don't want all the stress. Then you use your fingertips and your thumb to apply pressure on the scale to loosen the muscles. Okay? Mm -hmm. Then you use the thumb to put into two little grooves in the back of your neck and you just massage it deep pressure. Okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. And a variation that's introduced by modern academics is called EFT. Yes, EFT is super powerful. Tapping. So tapping is a variation expansion of acupressure techniques. You know, you just basically tap on your body because when you touch your skin, it creates, you know, energized transmission of nerves messages. So that's, mm. I'll just do it quick so that I won't waste your time. You can do it as long as you like on your clavicles, collarbone, under your armpit, and then you can slap your legs and arm. Basically, the basis of that is to move the chi and the lymphatics. Mm. Okay? So that's the, the physical touch therapy, EFTs, tapping. Now, the next thing that we have forgotten or not sure to do is called breath work. See, the average person, when you breathe, it's very shallow. It's probably just in and out. You can hardly, you know, if you put your hands on your chest, you probably don't even feel it much. So the normal breathing is very shallow. So you're basically using only part of your lungs. Uh, imagine if you've got a fancy sports car just driving in the first gear. Mm -hmm. uh, your lungs is huge. So a shallow breathing, you're only ventilating a tiny portion of your oxygen, your lungs. So I teach people to count one to four instead of the one two in um, you. You breathe in, count one, two, three, four, hold for two, and exhale for four. So it's very simple. You can do it right now through your nose, breathe in. So four in, two, hold, four out. Two will reach halfway your, your lung capacity. Three will reach about three quarter. Four will ventilate the whole lungs. So you've got reserve energy there that you don't normally use. The more you practice, the easier it will get. Okay? Mm. Now, sinuses on the side of our nose, they're designed to warm and filtrate air from germs, okay? And a shallow breath in and out just goes straight to the top part of your lungs. It doesn't aerate or flush out the sinus. So the Hindus teach us to block one nostril by breathing through the other one. This will give you extra pressure to ventilate the sinus. So block one side and take a deep breath. Very good for people who have sinus problems because one of the basis for sinus problems is blockage, stagnancy. Mm. So you repeat the other side, block one more. So if you do that, you're going to warm the air, clean the sinuses. So that's... Now the other breathing again, it's called abdominal breathing or diaphragmatic breathing. Now, the reason for doing it is that that part, the diaphragm, is supplied by the vagus nerve. Mm. Vagus nerve is the 
calming them, what I call rest and restore. See, our ancestors were sort of had a built-in mechanism called a fight or flight response, which is sympathetic, okay? And that makes you want to fight or run. But most physicians don't tell you there is the parasympathetic system that actually calms your nervous system, reduce your heart rate, just by deep breathing and diaphragm. So with diaphragmatic breathing, when you breathe in, you bring the, the, the lower part of your inwards. Then when you breathe out, you push it out. So this way you are moving the diaphragm like a pump. Mm. And, and you're massaging the surrounding organs as well. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. the blood flow, lymphatics. You, you beat me to it. <laughs> Sorry, <Tom. laughs> no, so mm. by moving the diaphragm, you're massaging the liver on the right side, gallbladder, and the spleen on the left side. You know, these are neglected because we live in a world where we sit more hours than we move. Right? Mm. Uh, so that's just the breathing. You would get extra oxygen, extra energy. Yeah. And uh, in terms of the, the, the whole body, you just need a system to stretch every part, your head, your neck, your shoulders. This is good for the lymphatics. Mm -hmm. uh, you must do it regularly. Um, so basically, we're going to summarize why so many people are not feeling good is that They've got a monkey mind, too much on the brain, and they don't move enough. They don't drink enough water. They don't eat the right foods, and they don't, don't stretch or exercise, and they don't deal with the stress. So stress can be tamed by just a simple method of modifying your body's physiological response. So next time you you hear something bad and you're in a fight or flight mode, just say to yourself, you can change that. Mm -hmm. Just like you can change your speed limit. Huh? Yeah. So think of the power of using your own brain. So if there's one message to everyone, learn how to calm yourself. Yeah, my favourite thing that you just said um, is learn how to change the speed limit. Learn how to go into a slow yeah. zone. If you're in a freeway, you're driving 100. And you want to exit, you generally just slow down, go to the left and out you go. Mm. So we can control our mind by learning how to control stress. So next time, don't panic when you're stressed. Just sit down, do your breath, do your tapping, stretching, drink more water. Now, there are other easy methods if you're at home. A cold shower is really good. I have one every night. Cold shower not only is good for your physiology, it also creates stem cells. And stem cells will repair damage over. And wow. So we're not just cold showering for nervous system flexibility and for resilience and a bit of an immune boost, circulation boost, but we're encouraging the growth of stem cells. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I have proof of it myself. Mm -hmm. I just recently cut my hair, but I had a very big bald patch here. Yeah. For many years. Uh, I even went to get a quote from a hair transplant surgeon, charged one to ten thousand to transplant hair. Mm -hmm. I got better ways of spending it than ten thousand. <laughs> yeah. I read this article about stem cells on cold shower. So I started it. After six months, my hair grew back and I'm a, after ten years of oldness. So wow. I, I don't need to do a double-blind study. <laughs> I'm happy with it. <laughs> Good enough for me. 
So stem cells create stem cells, sorry, co-cells create stem cells, which mm -hmm. will help you heal and repair. Now, sleep is the next one we should talk about. Yes, A lot of people put too little emphasis on quality sleep. Mm -hmm. Sleep has now been discovered. It's not just a resting period. It's the time your brain gets vacuum and clean. They have this special lymphatic system in the brain called the lymphatics, and it works at night time when you're asleep. So it clears up all the dead debris, the dead cells. So sleep is crucial, not something that you can just say, oh, I just need three, four hours. You mm -hmm. hear people say that, you know, oh, I only need four hours. Boasting as if they're so tough. But that's stupid. You will need eight to nine hours every day. So what about the people who hear that and say, well, that's all well and good, but I cannot either get to sleep or stay asleep. What, uh, what do we do for these people? Because that's a lot of people. You look at the causative factors. Mm -hmm. There are reasons, right? The temperature of the room has to be comfortable. The mm -hmm. light should be very dark. You should turn off all the electronic gadgets because the EMS will give you away. Yeah. Okay? Uh, you shouldn't have a full meal prior to bed. You shouldn't drink alcohol prior to bed or coffee. And how um, when you say shouldn't, um, how, how many hours do we want that window to be between the food and the sleep, ideally? Is it about three hours? That's what I've heard bandied about in the research and people sharing about sleep. Is that Would you agree with three hours, more, less? Uh, well, in total, you need eight to nine hours. Oh okay. no, I mean I mean the gap between your meal and bedtime. What should that be? That three, four hours is minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, so in other words, don't eat late. So the British are onto something with their tea at 5 p.m., which so many people like the French, I've got a French and a British background, and my British family would eat dinner very, very early. Um, but my French family, you know, they're they're eating dinner at 8 39 o'clock. Um yeah. well that a lot a lot of this information is new. Mm, so okay. Just because it's been traditional, that's mm. we, you know, sort of uh, make it valid. So if you want good restful sleep that restore your brain, you've got to follow those rules. Yeah. yeah. Um so Yep, certainly no coffee after lunch. Uh, yeah, and uh, don't overeat because the Chinese have a saying, eat you, you're 75% full. Mm. Because it takes about 20 minutes for the stomach to tell the brain that it's full. So if you keep eating, you'll be old. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge burden on the digestive system to process all of that while your brain is saying, hold on, I need to do my cleanup, stop. I know, we, that, that, that's the important thing about the new thinking about health is holistic. We must look at all factors. You know, Western medicine is to be too specialized. You know, it's treating a disease organ in a person, mm. not treating a person with a disease organ. It's quite different. Very different. If and they're very specialized, they neglect other factors, which mm. are Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I picked up on you saying the new way is holistic, but in a way it's, it's the return to the right way, isn't it? Because if you look at all traditional medicine, we were always thinking holistically, and it was actually Western medicine that was the new way. You're spot on. Yeah. In fact, the uh, the, the change came with industrialization. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I guess mass food production. When food came from the factory instead of from the earth, we started to see all the chronic diseases go up. Yeah, I mean, the research says 
that about 30% of the world's health problems could be solved with dietary change alone. I would say more than that. Yeah, wow. The, 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 the basis of all new treatment, mm. there's an old school of medical doctors in the States called functional physicians. Yes. They are treating the causes of diseases, not just treating the symptoms. Because when you're treating the symptom of a disease, you don't really treat the condition. Uh, diabetes is a good example. Conventional medicine, just to worry about the sugar. We just make sure the sugar level is the right, just treating that. But all the causes of that is forgotten, so you don't get cured. So mm. you always have to come back for more prescription, uh, which is, you know, I'm not blaming doctors. I think they're just being pressured by the system. Mm. Yeah. If you want to look at the big picture, uh, the big pharma companies are like the drug lords. They, they supply the drugs. So the poor doctors and the pharmacists, they are the pushers and the victims of this drug trend are the patients. You know, uh, and they just trust what's given to them. But it's not a cure. It's just treating the symptom. Yeah. I worry too much that so many people are so addicted to so many drugs. The, the stats show that over 100,000, I think, died of opiate overdose in the States in the year yeah. 2020. So it doesn't make sense that you're trying to treat diseases to make you feel better, but in fact, it kills you. doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. It really doesn't. Um, how do you feel about the huge rise in autoimmunity and what would you say to someone with an autoimmune disease right now about the way forward? I mean, obviously we've talked about some of those basics, but I often find even in, um, in the age of social media where there are so many different autoimmune protocols that people could follow and they're all different from each other and it, it almost feels like if you want to operate holistically, that becomes this whole other complicated thing because you're being shown 20 different ways that you might be able to go forward. Um, what do you see as the critical things that we need to do if autoimmunity is in our health picture at the moment? It's getting worse. Mm. And it's all back to diet and lifestyle. So... I think what we need to understand is that the whole body is involved in autoimmune disease. Uh, it starts off with the uh, microbiome. See, microbiome is this colony of bacteria in our gut that is part of us uh, and it's being totally neglected. And in fact, more than neglected, it's been actually damaged and destroyed by Western drugs. Uh, one cause of antibody will basically wipe off a lot of your gut bacteria for about three to six months. Uh, and other drugs, uh, the one common one called proton pump inhibitor. Mm, yes. Acid, is very damaging to the microbiome. So the basis of autoimmune disease is that your microbiome is damaged and it's not being protected. So it, it creates a condition called leaky gut. Mm. You heard of it? Yes. So it allows substances that shouldn't go into your bloodstream an open passage. And this is the culprit for autoimmune diseases. Yeah. So in other words, if the microbiome were intact, protective, those substances won't get in the bloodstream. And you won't get autoimmunity. So the fact that we're getting so, so much autoimmune disease which means that we're damaging our microbiome. You know, they're, they're part of us. Make there are more microbiome than the human humans. Cells. Yeah, at 10 to 1. And so one. the thing that 
confuses a lot of people, though, is the conflicting messages around what that great diet is to heal. Um, because, you know, one one person's going to say, cut out all grains, dairy, this and that. One person's going to say, do an elimination diet. One person's going to say, do my 30-day raw vegan cleanse. The next person's going to say, ah, you have to go carnivore. And it is so confusing for people. Um, can we make it simpler? Very simple. Excellent. Basically, go for it. first thing to accept is that we are all different. So you can't have one diet that suits everyone. Forget that. Right? We have to individualize each person. The main messages that uh, come out from all the reading I've done is actually very simple. Number one, detox first. If you can buy organic or can afford organic, do organic. First, that will reduce the toxins. And in your home, on your skin, all house products decrease the cosmetic toxins on your skin. So, so the main aim is to lower all toxins on your mm -hmm. skin. And the type of foods that's healthy, it's good for you, it's basically food from the earth. So all plants, vegetables, fruits, okay, are good. Seeds, nuts. So food from the earth, not from the factory. We don't drink enough water. It's very important. Most people are dehydrated. So make sure you drink your quota. Again, it's not a fixed volume, your size, your work, your sweating, your exercise. But make sure you're well, well, well hydrated. Simple rule is to look at your pee. If it's clear, it's usually good. If it's cloudy, it means you probably need more. Right? And your thirst. Listen, learn to listen to your body. It tells you. Because in modern life, people are so busy, they, they forget to tune in. So I, I talk to all my oldest. I really do. Really? Uh, no, no, you communicate. Yeah. The power is incredible. Okay, so plant food based. Now, things to avoid are sugar is the worst. I think sugars can be blamed for the obesity, diabetes, the heart diseases. We don't need added sugar. Sugar also is the food that cancer loves. Cancer only survives on sugar. It doesn't like fats or proteins. So cut, cut up all sugars. You get natural sugars from the food you eat, so you don't need to add sugar. Sugar feeds cancer. So everyone has cancer. It's just not showing in people. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the accepted theory now is that cancer happens every day. But if your immune system is strong, detects it, kills it, and there's no problem. It won't become a problem when your immune system don't protect you. It's like a police force and gangsters. You know, if you've got a powerful police force, your crime rate is down. Mm. If you've got a powerful gangster rate and not enough police, crime rate can go up. So I think that's that's very important. The uh, so the, the food is actually quite simple. Now, everyone has allergies. If you're allergic to something, you avoid it. Right? That's random. You, uh, the, there's no sense in it. You know? um, other than that, you don't want uh, to muscle salt because that creates water retention, increased high blood pressure. Uh, you don't want those... Uh, unhealthy trans fats. Healthy fats are healthy, so don't avoid fats. We all need some fats. You don't want a lot of fats, uh, but fat is the basic molecule for cholesterol, and cholesterol is the basic molecule for making sex hormones. So if you want a good sex life, you can't just avoid the fats. Uh, because they make testosterone, 
They make estrogen, progesterone. Um, so fats are fine, particularly olive oil uh, is good. Uh, and avocado is good. So, but avoid the trans fats, which are fats that's been burned up to a high temperature. Mm. Or, or the veg, the seed oils and, and, and the that, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's in the life of the product. They are unhealthy. So, so really what you're saying here, Doc, is we want to eliminate ultra-processed foods at least as much as we possibly can, do as much as we can organic, and then from there actually start having a chat with our organs and see which whole foods they they seem to thrive on the best and which might be cause for problem and really tune in to the foods that help you thrive. And there's a lot of information. Uh, mm. go, go to the farms, you know, those hobby farms, farms that sell fresh products. So don't go to the supermarket. So basically, yeah. food from the earth, not from the factory. You, know, you don't want any packaged foods is full of poison. Mm. We, we're living in a very toxic world. In one American study, they took blood from the baby's core, on the like just at random, guess how many toxins they found? Oh, I think it's two in excess of 210 from memory. Over 200. Yeah. Toxins in baby's cord blood. Mm. Imagine what we have. So detox is a good one. Uh, so basically, alcohol used to be touted as healthy if you drink in moderation. It is actually not. So uh, I have given up alcohol, although I used to enjoy one glass, because you, when you see a nurse or a doctor to get an injection, they wipe your skin with some alcohol. Why? To kill the bacteria. When you drink alcohol, you're doing the same to your own gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. So there's no real benefit. The benefit from the wine is from the grapes. But you can have grapes without <laughs> eat the grapes. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so, do you have faith there's got to be some sort of a turning point in medicine where we actually, you know, because what we're seeing now is doctors who are cluing into this, the functional medicine community. Uh, the holistic practitioners in naturopathy, Chinese medicine, nutrition, they've almost had to peel away as it's become more and more regulated, as it's become more and more narrow in focus towards medication as the solution and become this alternative anti-community when really they're just passionate about root cause medicine and helping people get to the bottom of why we're so sick and vulnerable in the first place, do you feel that there is a way forward where we can actually make these ideas mainstream and a part of a healthy medical system? Or do you think we are just too far down the track with business and government melded together such that it is impossible? That's a big philosophical question. I know, right? But I like asking doctors because you I, I'm an like optimist and yeah. I like to believe uh, that the groundswell will be slow, but it will because if you look look at the past, you know, things have changed gradually for the better. Mm. Uh, if you look at smoking rates that drop. Uh, so, and that's just from government action, commercial action. Uh, so, how much gain, how quickly, I don't think I could even offer any answer there. But it has to come because the cost of the current health system is not sustainable. Mm -mm. Yeah. Medicare is breaking down, mental health is breaking down. Um, for example, if you 
look at one interesting stat. 50 years ago, President Nixon signed a act in Parliament or the Congress to find out the cause of cancer. 50 years ago, mm. with trillions of dollars. 50, 50 years later, our cancer rate is going up. So it had actually even been targeted by the government and research scientists. It couldn't find because they were on the wrong track. You know, and even now, a lot of the cancer treatment is based on false information. Mm. You know, the mainstream will tell you differently. Uh, but I, I know from stats and reports I've read that uh, it's not gaining ground. Western approach to cancer is t treating them after you got it, but not that keen to treat you how to stop getting it. Mm. And there are preventative measures. And what do you think are the most powerful preventative cancer measures? You mentioned sugar uh, as probably your number one dietary. Anything else you wanted to help yeah. people focus in on there? about cancer mm. well uh, a complete whole plant food diet is crucial there's no shortcuts you've got to eat your veggies and your fruit you know there are certain groups of fruit that have been picked to be stronger against cancer uh, so the broc broccoli is very recommended yeah cauliflower onion garlic uh, avocados, and there's a kernel from apricot seeds that's supposed to be very anti-cancer due to the existence of vitamin B18, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, apricot B18, kernel. did you say? B, B, vitamin B18. Mm -hmm. It's a special, it comes from the apricot kernels, okay? I'm right. And uh, basically, a good a good meditative mind is helpful because of the stress. Stress will make anything worse. Cancers included, uh, because it blocks the immune defense. Uh, so a lot of seeds and nuts are very good. You know. Uh, Brazil nuts, good for silicon, selenium, right? And then you've got the hemp seeds, flax seeds, chia seeds. Um, so you can do a lot. If you browse through the internet, you will actually find recorded cases of people cured from cancer, stage three or four, from dietary supplements. Now, one of the other big group of foods that are very anti-cancer mushrooms. All types of mushrooms. Metaki, shiitake, vishi, you know, they're all good. And turmeric is a very strong, potent spice to use. Ginseng, ginger. So there's, there's a lot, lot of help from the natural world. Mm. Drugs are over expensive for cancer. Most of them go up to hundreds of thousands of dollars that the average patient can't afford. And they don't, they don't really work. So back to nature, reconnect with nature and boost your own immune system and uh, think positive, but don't be afraid of stress. Be the master, the warrior, not the warrior. <laughs> I love that. And that's so key, isn't it, to not be afraid of stress. Stress is inevitable in life. It's about, you know, everything we're learning about the nervous system now, it's actually about stress flexibility and being able to meet those moments but also return to calm. That's one of the quotes I like is you can't calm a storm but you can calm your response to the storm. Mm. And... The way I look at it, it's like in the ocean, 
on the surface, you have rough seas. That's the monkey mind that we all have. But if you just think and say, well, I don't really like this, I'm going to go somewhere else. And you dive downwards deeply. Just remember near the bottom of the ocean, how calm and peaceful that would be. We can all get there. We can all get there. All. Thank you so much, James, uh, for sharing a little window into your life uh, as a doctor and the things that you've brought in from personal experience, but also from exploring the best ways to support people. Um, I'm excited you're writing a second book, but I do want to mention Pandemic Stress is your first book, which is a bit of a double entendre, isn't it, really? Um, but there is just so much goodness in there, and I want to thank you for writing that as a, a beautiful way forward for people who do feel a little lost in this crazy modern world where there are so many mixed messages and and we're not sure sometimes how to move forward in the simplest of ways. I really feel like this book helps us cut through every complicated aspect of how we might look after ourselves and keeps it abundantly simple and can do, which uh, I'm very grateful for because we need a whole lot more of that uh, because people aren't well uh, for the main and uh, and we want to change that. So thank you for your work and for sharing that with us today on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. And one last little request, if you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Lotox Life.